Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. We are proud to present the next full-length episode of Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished. This is Volume 2, which includes Chapters 4, 5, and 6. At the end of Volume 1, Gafgarn, Wither, Aleda, Sully, and Doran were leaving Smidgen's camp in pursuit of the albino jester. We join them traveling on a road in Wither's wagon. The carriage rolled lazily along a lonely road below an overcast, dull sky. A rolling plain of green and brown grasses, littered with round stones and boulders, extended in all directions. A forest lay on the horizon behind the carriage, a little less than a day's travel from its border. Low crumbling walls of stone lined the road before them, sloping and dissembling into nothing but a stroll behind them. Percy's hooves occasionally splashed in a shallow puddle or squished among thick, viscous mud. Gafgarn sat upright on the roof of the carriage, his legs hanging over its edge, his weight causing it to lean delicately. The hood of his cloak, a wolf head, hung over his face as if devouring him, its fur still damp from the recent rain. He almost grinned at the landscape, the air earthy and wet, Without a hint of dust, it reminded him of home. A shaggy chestnut horse strolled alongside the carriage by Gafgarn, Elida relaxedly riding, the shield on her back rocking with the horse's movements. A thin trail of smoke accompanied thick puffs ascending from a large curving pipe through Wither's elegant mustache into the gray sky. Doran sat next to him, arm in a splint and sling, and Sully on Wither's opposite side, with her bow in her lap. The three were listening to Aleda question Gafgarn once more on his otherworldly handicap. So you're trying to tell me you can't use furniture at all? Lean on a counter, sit on a chair or stool or bench, lay on a bed? No, I move or I move. Gafgarn's tone reverberated with boredom. Then how come you can lie on top of the carriage? This carriage was constructed to transport people in utmost comfort. True, Wither interjected. But a roof is a roof. Its purpose is to keep the effects of nature out, not our burly layabout above it. Then that which classifies as furniture are things built for comfort? It would seem so, dear. But the roof supports him now. Shouldn't it be considered furniture by its use? You still benefit from its comfort doesn't make any sense to me. How would the boots know the difference? No idea. Don't care. All that matters is what it does. Not if what it does makes sense to you. And this means you're ready to believe, girl? (laughs) No, but if I lift a feather and it's as heavy as a rock, I know it isn't just a feather. Evidence points to truth, and we'll all know it in time. I'll figure it out. For now... I'm happy to get some irons around AJ's wrists. Is that really what we're calling him? 
You can call him Red Eyes the Comedian for all I care, old boy. He's a dead man. Beyond the road leading them north, a stony wall atop a flat rise floated into view. As they neared it, small towers, little more than wooden platforms with simple thatched roofs and wooden barred balconies, lined the perimeter of the wall. A tall, arched entranceway faced the road, its iron-reinforced doors of oak opened to the sporadic, lonely traffic of carts from farms arriving with loads of hay or foodstuffs. Tall estate of the same rounded stone rose above the walls deep in the center of the city. A flag of red and black chevrons drooping in the windless sky. A hawk hunted a pair of crows above, circling and diving together in a beautiful dance of death. Before the arched entranceway, the descending road split to the east and west, stretching out with the same low walls along its sides into rocky plains dotted with unkept thickets. The group rode past the crossroads, looking disinterestedly at the weathered signpost with dirty, cracked boards pointing in each direction. The names of places painted on them, once bold and helpful, now sat faded and illegible. Archers and chainmail and tabards of the lonely flag's colors gave the group little heed from the wall above as they neared the entrance. Guards with pikes watched lazily as the travelers passed into the city proper. On the inside of the walls, precarious wooden scaffolds bore tilted stairs, moldy ladders, and rickety walkways along its inner perimeter. The whole thing looked like one swift kick could bring it all tumbling down. Shoddy work, Gafgarn muttered. So derelict, the effort to construct it could hardly be called work, old boy, Wither chimed. The way the walls sag, I can hardly fathom why they even bothered. That's Hausto for you, an outlier city, the most southern in the kingdoms of its size. The barons change out here often, sometimes revolt, sometimes sickness, sometimes they just get bored, renounce their fealty, and hoof it to some dark, shady place. Baron Mardu's in charge these days, Sully announced. He works, well, he worked closely with Smidgen. At a hard look from Gafgarn, Doran added, Oi, Smidgen steal from the Baron's rivals, and he'd be left alone in return. Mardu's in charge of some serious, low-hanging, rotten fruit. Taking in her surroundings with a look of disgust, Wither repacked and lit his curving large pipe, saying, Dark political machinations aside, if he's got an engineer worth a frog's snot, I do believe this visit could prove lucrative. By the look of our surroundings, however, I'd say the frog found it a bad trade. It was almost frightening, lurching into Hosto's streets. Like the encircling walls, buildings sagged and bulged, stone walls billowing outward and sinking inward, so much so that some structures had thick wooden props against their walls. Taller buildings of two or three stories seemed to wiggle in the air like stalks of a wiry plant, tilting and twisting as they rose. Many doorways held ill-fitting doors, too large so they scraped or skidded as they opened or closed. 
or so little that they swung haphazardly. Even the affirmative streets seemed to twist and bulge comically. The city looked as if it were underwater, undulating with undercurrents and waves. Barely fitting between buildings, they followed the main street into the city, quickly finding themselves in a crowded square. The people looked less unusual than their surroundings, many still wearing jackets and cloaks in various colors, but all in the most basic of styles. Without his wolf cloak and extreme size, Gafgarn might have fit in well. But Wither and Aleda stood out as well as royalty. Guards, many in tarnished half-plate armor, stood near a large building with a peaked roof at the other end of the square. Unlike its haphazardly constructed brethren, this building stood tall and rigid, built from cut and shaped granite and limestone of sullen gray and black hues. Along its peaked roof and minarets, spears of dark metal twisted into the sky. They progressively increased in height from the edges to the peak of the roof like a frightening spine. Stained glass windows depicting orbs of color and swirling masses of mixed hues of stark black darkness lined the walls. To Gafgarn, the building exuded the type of aura that made one want to stray as far away as possible and he felt his muscles tighten in its presence. Wither, on the other hand, might say it was the type of building that might give some particularly daft people the willies. That, old boy, is the kind of establishment that might give one an intense sensation of discomfort. Something you are ardently familiar with, I'm sure. Then he looked at Sully and Doran. You, I suspect, might call that sensation the willies. What is that place? It's a church, Gaff. Tentacle of the Void. As chilling as it may look, every city has a church devoted to it. They believe in other worlds and realities out in some void that surrounds us. It's the most prominent religion in the kingdoms, with plenty of offshoots or reinterpretations. Doppelgangers in their own right. All with their slew of cosmic boogeymen responsible for all manner of miraculous phenomena and divine terror. Wither commented with an airy sense of sarcasm. Then he mused. Really? Not much different than back east, right, old boy? Spirits in your trees? Demons in your blades? The working end of my hammer wouldn't mind answering that question for you, Doc. Wither chuckled in return, snapping Piercy's reins with glee to bring the carriage into the square. Townsfolk crowding the square concentrated their attentions towards a broad balcony above the entrance to the church, where several guards spoke and gestured at a specifically interesting chair. It was ornate, true, a carved mahogany beast of a seat, cushioned by velvet. But it was particularly fascinating because it was hanging over the edge of the balcony by its rear legs, and there was a motionless man seated within it. A wound rope around both tied tightly to the balustrade. Blood-stained, a cascade of opulent necklaces, and his black robe with silver trim. Even from this distance, it was easy to see his throat had been slit. Percy cut through the edge of the crowd to a dingy-looking inn, respectable only for its well-kept stable. Wither and Aleda, 
paid its keeper for the care of their horses and carriage. The hunter retrieved three pairs of bolas, heavy-looking balls joined by a strong rope from her pack, and fixed them to her belt. The group made their way through the crowd towards the precariously suspended corpse. As they neared, they could hear a man yelling over the din, demanding the crowd stay back and ordering the men above to cut the dead one down. Three figures, similarly robed like the corpse, but lacking its silver trim, looked up at the body and consoled one another with red faces and moist eyes. Gafgarn and the others met the circle of guards keeping the crowd at bay as the robed mourners turned to the man belting commands. It took only one glance to tell he was in charge. His half-plate armor, worn and tarnished, like the others, still shone with a Herculean, miraculous effort. His surcoat bore not one blemish, its colors vibrant and clear. His face, wrinkled with middle age and fair, but for the dark circles around his amber, almost golden eyes, was chiseled from stone, with a broad chin and high, pronounced cheekbones. A gigantic, expertly trimmed, thick mustache descended from his upper lip like a bristly, regal cape. If one could puff a pipe with respect and admiration, Wither was doing so at the sight of that wondrous lip warmer. Said magnificent whiskers currently face the morning trio. Please, Captain, you must take him down. One of the robed women begged. We can't bear to see the first tentacle like that. It's a disgrace, the robed man sobbed. Who would do such a thing? Absolutely, yes. We'll bring him down at once, the captain consoled. He pointed up at the balcony. You up there. What's taking so long? Get that man down immediately. I wouldn't do that, captain. She attempted to move into the circle but found herself stopped short by the butt of a halberd pressed neatly, if curtly, against her. The man holding the weapon looked down at her with a stolid face. She drilled a hole into it with her own stare. The captain approached her, a sense of incredulity in his steady gait. And why should I care what you do, miss? She raised her eyebrow in response and made to look at the eye patch on the other side of her face. The captain's eyes followed and then returned to her singular functioning orb. Now glittering with assuredness, the captain sighed. A public murder and a hunter in my city within the same morning? I thought the rain felt particularly icy today. He pointed a metal thumb over his shoulder. You have a quarry who might be responsible for this? Quite the introduction, Wither remarked then refitted his pipe between a wide, toothy grin when the captain shot him a stern look. The guy I'm after might be involved, Captain. I'll tell you more after I've gotten a better look. This is my city, Hunter, and I can give you the details after I've investigated myself. As much as I'd love to preserve your masculinity, I'm more interested in finding a killer than arguing with you. I'm here on guild business, so... I suggest we get to work. The lady retrieved a metal tag from within her coat and flashed it at the captain. On it were emblazoned the letters AJ and the number 1000G. Her arrowhead pendant swung from the movement mockingly. The captain glowered, but acquiesced. You and your companions come with me. 
Stay in sight of me at all times. Do your business, but keep me informed of your findings while you're here. And make sure I get to see the bastard that did this, dead or alive, before you leave. And if you're as good as hunters are supposed to be, I expect you'll be leaving soon. I'm Captain Bronson Tenev. Welcome to Hosto. Captain Tenev's eyes scanned the group as they came forward, until they came to rest on Gafgarn. The captain took in the outlander's massive size, poured over his wolf cloak, and glittered at the notice of those inlaid shining boots. Where's the rest of your suit? <sighs> Gafgarn grunted, cracking his knuckles with flexing fingers. Not too useful without the rest, hmm? He led them through the church's broad, angular doors into an antechamber. An altar between two archways greeted them. Twisting dark tentacles rose from the floor to embrace and rim a pool of the darkest water Gafgarn had ever seen. As Captain Tedev led the group into a stairwell at the side of the entrance, Gafgarn looked in the water and saw no reflection. But instead, a pure crystalline blackness that threatened to drag him in. Instead of suckers, the tentacles had rows of bulbous, lidless eyes. As he walked by an archway, he saw the main hall lined with long wooden pews that, even with the sky overcast, lay awash in swimming colors from tall stained glass windows, a pulpit of stone. All tentacles stood at the head of the hall in front of a massive grotesque statue. It was a creature of tentacles and mouths, a mass without order or reason, with colorful tapestries displaying ornate symbols hung over outstretched appendages. Gafgarn snorted at the unearthly display, but a sense of unease persisted to cling to him like a bad smell. At least the place wasn't dusty. The balcony was wide and deep, large enough for Gafgarn's troop and a handful of guards, who currently stood perplexed by the scene before them. Aleda was already poring over the body, taking in every detail, while Wither puffed busily as he watched. A thick rope wrapped around the man, chair, and balustrade in a chaotic fashion, crossing, overlapping, and nodding like wild vines. Gafgarn leaned over the edge of the balcony to watch Aleda examine the deep, clean gash in the corpse's throat. The robe beneath it stained, though the rope was rather clean in comparison. The man's fingers poking out from between the wound rope like struggling weeds were decorated with heavy rings of gold and silver and jewels depicting tentacles, eyeballs, and globes. His jeweled and gilded necklace swung with a playful, brief breeze, the blood on them almost dry. Aleda looked down, and Gafgarn followed her eye to the ground directly below the man, and he saw nothing of note. Finally, she touched the dark robes and looked at her fingers as she rubbed them together. She nodded her head in satisfaction. Aleda stepped back and spoke, almost as if to herself. He was killed last night, but not here and most likely in his sleep. Why would you say that? Captain Tedev asked. She looked at him sharply. The ropes aren't as bloody as his clothes, so he wasn't in bonds when he was killed. There's no blood below on the ground, 
so it stopped dripping by the time he was brought here. Rain! Gafgarn shook his head and looked at Aleda. Clothes are dry, right? But for the blood, yes. So were the ropes. It rained early, before dawn, so he was brought out here after that. Still under the cover of darkness, I presume? Unless your gods are so blind as to miss a man being tied up in a chair on a balcony in the middle of a square. Captain Tedov looked at his guards, who scratched their heads and shrugged, and answered sternly. No, it had to be early. After the rain, then. Though I'm not sure how it wasn't seen until sunrise. Any reasons as to why? Something personal, maybe? It wasn't a robbery. He still has all his jewelry. The way the ropes are tied, it's overkill. Like it was done by a child. Or a madman. Guys, look! Sully called from the edge of the balcony. But the discussion continued unheeded. The cut is clean, so no struggle. Though I don't understand the chair. A message? She and Wither shot quick glances at Gafgarn, who shrugged his massive shoulders in return. Sir? Sully called. Gafgarn, sir! It's him! He ignored her, his attention set on the chair, a sudden confusing maelstrom of disgust and longing storming within him. Oi, Gaffy! Doran called over the group, who all turned to face him. Sully stood pointing over the edge of the balcony, and Doran continued. Oh, I think he's out there, sir! Peeping right at us! Well, don't point at him, idiots! Gafgarn commanded, as he and the group marched to Sully's side. He's already looking right at us! It hardly makes a difference, Gaff! Uh, I mean, sir! In a huddle, they peered into the mass of onlookers, and in the midst of them, dead center, A.J. stood wearing his jester hat, bells shining above a wide, toothy grin. He stared at them, unmoving. He was, in fact, looking directly at Gafgarn, making the kind of eye contact easily confused between intensely intimate or disturbingly maleficent. It made Gafgarn's blood boil and teeth grit. It also caused him to miss Aleda and Wither launch themselves over the balcony. Captain Tedov's voice rippled through the square like a horn. Seize the jester! Alive if possible! Everyone move! Now! The rabble scattered as the guards moved in to catch AJ. The later and Wither were already darting between scurrying city folk, the later reaching for the bolas on her belt, and Wither testing the tension in his wrist crossbows. They pushed people aside like leaves. AJ winked at Gafgarn as he spun and darted out of the square into an alley. Gafgarn's rage incensed. He leapt over the balcony in one bound, landing at a sprint and bellowing orders. Sully, ready your bow and follow me. Doran, don't break anything else. Stay with the carriage. Sully took advantage of the convenient stairs, leaving Doran shrugging his shoulders and flapping his broken arm like a helpless hatchling. The city launched into mass hysteria. The sound of an alarm bell ringing out over the city. It was one thing to indulge in the morbid curiosity of murder, but it was another to see the murderer running free. Folk barred themselves in the twisted buildings. Onlookers shouted from windows, and guards sprinted about in their armor, halberds and swords at the ready. Elena and Wither were arrows through a swarm of bees, quick to reach the alley. 
and caught the tail end of AJ turning a corner into another street and gave chase. Gafgarn was on their heels, knocking over any in his way, a stone from a catapult in the swarm. Nothing slowed him, though he swerved to avoid a chair or two in the narrow alley. Around the corner, the three pursuers saw AJ running directly into the path of three guards. Fool shouldn't have shown himself, Wither huffed. Street's too narrow for him to evade them. I dare say he's tripped. Don't underestimate him, Aleda cautioned, adjusting the bolas in her hand. AJ never faltered or slowed. He ran right at the guards, sliding onto wet stones underneath the blade of a halberd. As a sword sliced down to decapitate him, he launched himself over it in a forward flip. The last guard, surprised by AJ's sudden engagement of flight, found his face rudely introduced to the soles of AJ's shoes. From the flat of his back, he watched AJ flee, then dazedly gawked at his pursuers, chasing their prey's joyous cackle. <laughs> Around a corner into a larger street, Aleda threw her bola without hesitation. It churned through the air between onlookers and fleeing innocents, directly toward the legs under that bouncing jester hat. Until AJ grabbed a passing man and placed him between the bola and himself. It whipped around the unwitting citizen's knees, causing him to totter into an awkward fall. AJ shot back at his hunters, a self-assured grin, just as arresting as the bola. It slammed into its targets with the force of all the rudest of gestures. Bastard! Degenerative scum-sucking flesh balloon! Wither shouted as he launched a bolt at AJ. The missile whistled through the air until it met the blade of a simple dagger with a sharp ping. It harmlessly ricocheted into a wall, while AJ tucked the blade back into his jacket as he ran into a tall building. Wither! Around the other side! Aleda! Down this way! I'll follow him! He's mine, wolf! Aleda returned, continuing her sprint into the building. Not one of your soldiers, old boy! Wither called as he rounded the structure's far corner. Sully caught up to Gafgarn, bow in hand and quiver on her back. Sir! About time! Gafgarn grunted as he waved for her to follow. They ran down the opposite side of the building as Wither their eyes scanning its wall. Look for any doors or windows, and if you see him, shoot him. Try not to kill him. Sully knocked an arrow as she trotted behind. Inside, Elena found herself in a two-story library, the upper floor a surrounding balcony with iron handrails, twisting iron staircases in the corners leading upward. Books, their spines a kaleidoscope of colors, lined tall shelves and long tables span the length of the single room. The building seemed to lean slightly to the right. Windowless, the chamber was lit by candelabras on the walls, tables, and in the hands of readers and perusers. AJ was running down a central path between the long tables as a crook old man pointed a shaking finger at him. You have to return that book you stole! Get back here, thief! 
AJ laughed, <laughs> vaulting onto a table and launching himself onto the rail of a staircase. Elena chucked her second set of bolas at the jester. He heaved, jumping sidelong and upwards onto the balcony railing and swiveling over it, never losing momentum. The bolas missed by a hair, wrapping harmlessly around the stairway railing, once blessed with AJ's presence. AJ grinned and waved as he made his way to a rickety door on the back wall. Elena gave chase, taking a more traditional route up the staircase. Reaching the second floor in time to see the back door swing shut, she cursed her luck and fingered the last set of bolas on her belt. Outside, AJ sprinted across a makeshift wooden bridge that creaked and twisted across a dingy street into a sister building. A crossbow bolt flitted by AJ's head, drawing his attention to a disgruntled wither on the street below, taking aim for another shot. A single opened eye pierced at AJ through rolling puffs of smoke from his pipe, chomped tightly between angrily clenched teeth. AJ practically pranced as he ran, a look of absolute glee on his pale face. Villainous, arrogant, canker-ridden rotworm! Wither yelled as he let fly with another bolt. AJ smoothly ripped a loose board from the bridge, swinging it up to catch the bolt. Hearing the sound of whirling bolas, he threw the board back where he came and caught it again as the bolas wrapped around the board and snapped it back to him. Another bolt from Wither whistled into the board as AJ blocked it. He turned to Aleda, almost on top of him, unsheathing her sword. You look flustered, he hissed as he dodged her blade. Relax with a healthy dose of fiber. He slammed the board into her head, smashing it into splinters and sending her reeling. He looked down at a gash on his belly, blood staining his cut shirt and jacket. He squealed with excitement. Ooh, you got me leaking. Not enough to cause me to spill, but nice try. Then the bridge rocked violently. The sound of wood snapping and breaking, reverberating through the street. Gafgarn stood below, the splintered remains of one of the bridge's supports on the ground next to him. Hammer in hand, he wound up for a blow to another crooked support. Elena! He yelled as he swung. She heard and dove off the edge of the bridge, catching herself among its webbed struts. Then Gafgarn's hammer met wood. And with a thunderous crack, the bridge rocked and wobbled. Another bolt flew by AJ's face as he ran, laughing, <laughs> the bridge under him, teetering towards Gafgarn. Sully, now! Gafgarn yelled as he ran. Sully pulled her shaft back and let fly. The arrow flying swiftly and true. AJ leapt from the falling bridge to the doorway in the building, Sully's arrow just grazing his shoulder. Below, the bridge plummeted into the street in a shattered heap. AJ caught himself on the ledge and climbed up into the building, leaving only his joyous cackle for his pursuers. <laughs> I'm not letting him get away! We have to get around the building. Find the exits. Aleda yelled, sheathing her sword. A single trail of blood trickled down the side of her face. When they turned to make their way around the building, rows of guards blocked their path on either side of the street, with more arriving from corners and alleys. Many others rushed to surround the building. 
Gafgarn brandished his mallet, staring down the guards with all the severity of a cornered starving bear. Captain Tedev walked through the barricade, Doran in tow between the iron grips of two guards. What's the meaning of this, Captain? Never wise to bar the guild from its work. Baron Mardu has demanded your arrest. Gaftarn thought he sensed an edge of distaste in his voice. Your hunt may resume after you've had an audience with him. By his order, his permission is needed, not mine. This time, there was no mistaking it. Captain Tedev practically spat. Gafgar never understood taking orders from someone that commanded respect rather than earning it. The kingdoms are indeed a strange place, he thought. We take you to see the Baron now, Captain Tedev announced, extending an arm into the city. Waiting for the group to comply, his face was stone, with no hint of doubt or insincerity. With AJ so close, Gafgarn, Aleda, and Wither were loath to quit the chase. But the sharp ring of unsheathing swords quickly quieted their urge to resist. Aleda complied, sheathing her sword with a frustrated grunt. Gafgarn stood tall, great hammer on his shoulder a look on his face that begged any to take it from him. Wither, still on the opposite side of the fallen bridge, calmly straightened his suit as he walked over to the wooden rubble. Then, with all the abruptness and terror of a pouncing creature, he sprinted at the captain. The force of Wither's rage was met with a swift plated fist to the face. Captain Tedev's free arm wrapped around Wither's outstretched, to plunge a now-visible blade into the captain's neck. The professor crumpled, and Captain Tedev motioned two guards to fix iron handcuffs to his wrists. I won't let him get away! So close, so near, that murdering, abducting jackanape, and you overripe, impertinent, putrid pustrels are letting him go! No, no! We need to save! Captain Tedev knelt and grabbed Wither by his bloody face, and curtly said, He will not leave this city alive. But until you meet the Baron, his fate is none of your concern. The captain rose to meet Gafgarn's heavy gaze, and announced, with all the commanding power of gravity itself, Baron Mardu awaits. The morning's overcast skies remained, the wetness of the city less pronounced, and the air had a subtle pleasant coolness to it. The estate was in the center of the city, or just about. It was hard to tell for Gafgarn, with all the twisting streets and alleys among the leaning buildings. Not that he or his cohort could see much of where they were or where they were going. The way Captain Tedev and his horde of guards crowded and ushered them every step of the way. Wither, the blood on his face quickly drying, would yowl and yammer at times, but his rebellious raging was met with swift retribution. You pus-nosed, ankle-biting Philistine! He's getting away! Oh, a gauntleted fist to the gut. Let me go, you bow-legged, swine-loving chirp! Oh, a sword hilt to the head. Pardon me, old boy. Were you aware that your mustache resembles the digested remains of a rat are resting on your upper lip? Oh. A blow to the throat quieted his outbursts, causing him to walk with a body that hung limply between two guards. His protests were resigned to muttered sputterings for the remainder of the march. 
Promptly, they came to a wall, bending around both ends of a street. Beyond it, one could see the high roof of the estate, black and maroon flag waving lightly in the wet breeze. The captain led the procession to a heavy double-sided reinforced gate around the bend, large enough Withers' cart could fit through. He knocked hard with his plated fist, to which the other side responded with the heavy lifting of a lock. The door swung open to reveal a small group of leather and mail-clad men and women bearing looks of dismay. About time, a woman in the front pronounced. Captain and prisoners in. The rest of you, back to the streets. Captain Tedev rustled his mustache with a frustrated sigh, then turned to his guards and pointed. You two, wait out here for me. The rest of you are dismissed to your regular duties. Don't let me catch you at the library unless you've been assigned there. Hmm? There's still a whole city of people here. Well now, get moving. The guards dispersed in all directions. The sound of metal boots and clinking armor following their reluctant footsteps. Wither roused, dusting off his suit and betraying no injury. Fine! In to see the Baron. Don't dawdle now. I never dawdle, Ayer. Captain Tedev responded gruffly, leading Gafgarn's group forward. The guards here were even less kempt than those in the city. They were swarthy, with close to unshaven faces or scraggly hair, some with hoods pulled so far over their heads, most of their faces were hidden in shadow. Men and women of such differing appearance, from skin to scars to clothes to armor, their ragged demeanor, their only common trait. It was easy to conclude that they hailed from many different places in and outside of the kingdoms. Gafgarn was reminded of Smidgen's bandits and figured these were closer to a gang than an organized, uniformed, soldierly force. Not that they appeared any less dangerous. Eyes, lazy or drunk or otherwise, watched the interlopers with wariness and greedy hunger. And each man and woman had a weapon close to hand. Why do I feel like I'm being sized up? Because you are. Ladies, gentlemen. Wither greeted and bowed his head as they walked. Sully waved and nodded to a few, like old friends. Doran shook some hands as he walked, even embraced one with a hearty, Oi, mate! Nice to see ya! Both stopped cold and continued on with lowered heads, and they saw the look Gafgarn shot them. They walked across a large yard, inhabited by a dingy stable to their left, and several slumping buildings of wood to their right, possibly barracks or storerooms. Small patches of garden bestowed surprising splashes of color and fragrance amid the dreary surroundings. In the center was a modest two-story estate of the city's common stone, a pair of iron reinforced doors stretching high beneath a pointed gable. Two guards were at the short steps leading up to it, one sitting, cleaning her nails with a rather large knife, and the other half asleep against the wall, arms crossed. Captain Tedev led the group through, pushing the doors open as he walked into a grand, dusty foyer. He continued up a single staircase to their left to the second floor and down a hall to an unassuming door. Old frame paintings hung askew on the walls alongside torn or faded tapestries, cobwebs ruffling as the group walked by them. Gafgarn could feel the dust of unclean, long-lived-in quarters filtering into his voluminous nostrils his face contorting into an annoyed grimace. He thought of his halls in the great fortress of Dyerok Deep, with the heads of woodland beasts on plaques decorating the walls. No hints of dust ever dared grace those hallowed grounds, and all, handmade to warrior, made sure of it. This baron, with his disheveled crew and abhorrent housing, impressed him little. Captain Tedev stopped at the door, two shady-looking guards on either side, and faced the group. Baron Mardu is known for many things. But first and foremost is his size. None of you will comment or joke on it. 
And please, whatever you do, if you've heard his nickname, do not repeat it here. Aleda smirked while Sully and Doran snickered. Gafgarn looked at each face for a hint, but only got a sly shrug from Wither. Captain Tedov placed two raps on the door, and at the haughty command of Enter! and a muffled tenor from the other, he opened and gestured for the others to follow. They filled into a large room centered by a grand desk of dark wood, the surrounding walls lined with banners of the same design as the flag above the estate. An ornate rug of colorful reds, oranges, gold, and black floral and arboral designs depicting blooming flowers, twisting vines, and antler-like trees covered much of the floor. Two heavy chairs of red velvet with hanging tassels lay before the desk, accompanied by several more plain oak variations presumably brought in from another room. A wide plate lay on the desk's surface, balanced its mountainous cargo of turkey legs, potatoes, gravy, grapes, and large chunks of mutton. Beyond that heaping mound, staring interestedly at them all, was one of the fattest men Gafgarn had ever beheld. Baron Mardu was middle-aged, wrinkles only beginning to assert themselves, and fair-skinned with deep-set dark brown eyes, above a pointed nose that defied his round cheeks and sloping jowls. A jet-black beard descended henceforth, dearly in need of cleaning flecks of food clinging into its oily brambles, a paw of sausage-like fingers, each adorned with a silver or gold ring of jewels, stroked and combed that foodie beard as Mardu leaned back and regarded his new guests with interest. That hand's equally bejeweled sibling hung over the side of the chair, loosely clutching a half-eaten apple. He barely fit into his gargantuan velvet seat, rolls of fat from his sides and back falling over the arms and back of the chair like frothing yeast over the rim of a bowl. He wore a massive black shirt with gold-embroidered lions on both of the breasts and a gray coat with shiny silver buttons and black trim. Various necklaces of silver, gold, and beads hung low past the plummeting collar of his shirt that exposed curling black bushes on his upper chest. Several hooded guards stood about the room, Pop your rumps, he said as he motioned to the chairs across from him. He took a meaty bite from his apple as everyone except for Gafgarn moved to sit. Find a perch, big man, Bardu ordered through a full chewing mouth, gesturing to an empty chair. Gafgarn looked at the seat like he was going to eat it, but wasn't looking forward to the taste. What? Your people don't have chairs? Flecks of apple showering the desk and his beard. Gafgarn shrugged. His arms still crossed. It's not big enough for me. I'll stand. Mardu looked down at himself, his seat creaking with the effort, then back up with a grin. They seem pretty sturdy to me, big fella. And you'll refer to me as sire while you're in my presence. You don't want to sit? I don't care. I don't want you bastards to waste any more of my time than needed. He paused to lean forward on a heaving arm, his face turning to regard the entire group. Now... I can place some of you. He nodded at each as he listed them. You're with the guild. Clear enough. Guilds always welcome loss. Aleda registered an undertone of sarcasm and disdain, but maintained her cold disposition. You're that inventor, weapon dealer, whatever. Anyone who's anyone knows your carriage and suit. Mayhaps we can do some business later. Wither nodded and grinned. Mardu continued, pointing at Sully and Doran. I don't know you two there, but it's obvious enough you answer to this big one, a feared of chairs over here. Odd bunch. 
You come into my town and raise chaos, destroy property. Murder or no, that's heavy affront as outsiders. Don't you think? All under guild business, sire. That's so, lass. Then you all be with the guild, I presume? Just myself, but they aid in my hunt and are so protected under the rights of guildship, sire. She spoke levelly, her tone professional and full of authority. Mardu pounded his fist on the desk and sternly pronounced, Don't you lecture me of your infernal guild law. I know what it be, but you bring vagabonds and a wilder. It's enough you've these two criminals with you. He pointed at Sully and Doran, noting their wide-eyed expressions. Oi, I know you be highwaymen, but this beast man, peace or no, big man, you be on the wrong side of the border. And Hosto, situated as it is, it be my charge to protect the kingdom's edge here. Great job of doing that. I've been in your country for weeks. Mardu shoved himself out of his seat to stand, his body rippling and jiggling with the effort. Watch your tone, barbarian! I don't know if your people respect their leaders, but here in the kingdoms, titles mean something. I won't broach another offense from you, and I'm not talking about sending you back to your forests. My people earn their respect, Gafgarn thought, every muscle in his body calling out to teach that lesson to this bulbous sack of meat firsthand. If it were just him and the Baron, perhaps he would. But killing him would do no good for their pursuit of AJ. He met the Baron's glare and nodded, noticing then a particular sight in the corner of the room over the Baron's shoulder. What he noticed utterly demanded his attention. It wasn't the weapon rack with a sad collection of poorly kept swords hanging on leather-wrapped wooden pegs. It also wasn't the shelves above littered with valuable-looking trophies like a golden jeweled goblet, necklaces and rings, a jade dragon, and a shining curved dagger. It was at the top of the shelf, a pair of shining gauntlets. Gafgarn's eyes gravitated to those gauntlets with intense fervor for two reasons. One, they were the finest, crafted, cleanest, shiniest things in the room aside from his boots. And two, they were silver white, with red, flowing designs that Gafgarn knew to be an ancient language. Those, pointing with his chin. Where did you get them, sire? Mardu huffed and jiggled as he struggled to look over a shoulder at the shelves. Those! Right, impressive, eh? No class, but at least you've a good eye. You know, I never clean them, but they always look like that. Strange. Anyway, none of your business where I got them. They're mine. That's all should matter to you. Ever put them on, old boy? Uh, sire? with her ass through teeth clenched on a pipe carved like an upwardly belching frog. Mardu paused, at first surprised by the presence of the pipe that had not been there a moment before, then regained his composure and raised a fist, grasping a meaty turkey leg. On these paws, Professor, I'd sooner fit a brazier. Enough with all the questions. I brought you here. Now shut up and pay attention. Since you bring this filth into my city, this clown? I'm going to respectfully decline your wish to hunt. Captain Tenev's men and my private guard will see to it that this murderer is found without destroying anything else. Murdering a first tentacle. Whoever did this is going to bring down the wrath of the church on himself. Never mind my own. A fool. So you don't know who you're after then, son? Don't get smart with me. A man of white skin... Red eyes, wearing a jester hat. Pretty hard to miss, lass. 
and I'm surprised you find, with all your guildcraft and reputation, that you've yet to catch him. Let him slip away, I hear. And by the looks of that hurt on your face, I'd say it be true. Aleda thought to comment that Mardu looked like he could catch nothing, but thought better of it. You speak of his appearance, but not of who he is. This isn't a common criminal. The guild was made to catch criminals like this. You need me, sire. What I need is you and your group out of my city. Be on your way before I keep you here in chains. You're welcome to stop us. I'm sure the guild will just overlook your tampering in our business, because that's not a big deal at all. The guild can shag a maggot. A questioning brow soared above Aleda's good eye that regarded Mardu with a fiery mixture of disbelief and wrath. She leaned forward, her fingers threaded neatly together, and her elbows on her knees. I don't need to remind you, I'm sure, of the Accords, older than the kingdoms themselves. Guild work is as official as any monarchs or their lesser vassals, and can only be refused or punished by Landsmeet trial. My actions, as well as those of my companions, are sanctioned by law. So should you imprison us and call for a trial, your head is on the block. I do my job, sire, and that is it. Make your choice. At that moment, a plated city guard entered, saluting the baron with a fist across his chest. Mardu took a mighty bite of turkey, chewing with rage and exasperation. Captain Tedev gestured for the guard to come closer. Sir! His breath short and sweat beating on his brow from the supposed run to the estate. The jester is gone! <laughs> Mardu choked and sputtered in response. Aleda shook her head while Withers shot upright, puffing smoke wildly. Gafgarn placed a heavy hand on Withers' spindly shoulder, locking him in place as surely as a steel brace. How? Captain Tedev asked, a hand massaging his temples as he leaned in his chair. It was one building. We had it surrounded. At first we didn't know, till a librarian told us about catacombs underneath the library. Goes out to both wings, then out under the city. Maybe even beyond the walls, he says. <sighs> no one knew this? The guard looked around the room sheepishly. Well, maybe we forgot. Most of us grew up here. Haven't thought about them since we were kids. Even then, we thought they were just stories. Not really interesting anymore. Captain. Aleda interjected in a curious tone. Why didn't you know of them? I'm not from here, Hunter. A handful of years, and none have ever spoken of tunnels to me. He turned a questioning gaze to Mardu, who replied by jamming a chunk of mutton into his mouth. See? The guard said, his face beaming. Not something we really talk about. Captain Tedev stood and gave the man a hard look. Hold the entrances that we know of. Hold the librarian as well. We need to talk. I'm coming right away. He gave a salute to Mardu. Captain, speak to my first on the way out. You know her. Ask about the catacombs. She will have information for you. Find the murderer. Alive if you can. Now get out of my office, the lot of you. Professor, I may call on you later. As they walked through the hall and down the stairs, Wither asked Gafgarn, Those gauntlets, old boy, unmistakably related to your ill-fated footwear. Unmistakably. I'll bargain for them, should that gluttonous windbag be serious about seeing me later, which he very well should be. Doc, you should really clean your face. What was Mardu's nickname anyway? Captain Tedev stopped at the large doors and leaned into Gafgarn, using the back of his hand to stifle his answer. He's known as... 
the bulging baron. A light drizzle accompanied the group's return to the two buildings that comprised the library, the afternoon maintaining the day's interminable gloom. Guards milled about outside, reporting to Captain Tediv that none had been permitted to leave either building. They entered the building where Aleda had given chase to find several more guards standing around an old man in simple robes. Aleda recognized him as the one who had yelled after AJ as he fled, saying something about a stolen book. The group moved to greet the aged librarian. A guard spoke. Sir, this is the one said he may know where the jester hides. Captain Tediv looked at the old man, who sat and fidgeted nervously, and declared, Name? Edward! Explain yourself. And plainly, please, we have work to do. In the wing, across the street, what was joined by that bridge in a small cellar for storage is an entrance to the ancient catacombs. Older than the city itself. You move one of the shelves, it takes some strength, and there's a doorway in the rock. Leads to underground passages. What's the nature of these passages? None know about them, but I and most of Baron's private guard at the estate, mostly abandoned. Many passages collapsed and unstable. One leads out of hostel, beyond the walls somewhere. I had an interest in them in my younger years, but there's not but rubble and darkness down there. Whatever their original purpose, it's just a path for smuggling and secrecy now. So one way in, one way out. You're sure of this? Yes. This city's been leveled in the past. Such is war. Must have caused all the cave-ins. It would take a serious excavation to open any other ways. And Nardu uses it rarely as it is. Take us there, then. The man rose and tottered out of the building with the captain in tow. The others followed, Leda taking a moment to retrieve her bola still wrapped around the twisting handrail. Outside, the group followed the bent figure around the building. Soon they came to the heap, formerly known as the bridge that linked the two library wings. Workmen that had been brought to the site now lugged wood and hefted beams into organized piles. Ebert, still shaking from nervousness and age, led them further around the second building and into a doorway. Inside, this wing looked similar to the last. The biggest difference, an open trapdoor in the floor in a corner. Guards milled about here as well, saluting Captain Tediv as the group passed to the trapdoor. A ladder led down into a cramped space crowded with crates, chairs, a spare table, and shelves of candles, ink, and parchment. Ebert motioned towards the shelf loaded with candles, and Captain Tediv called for two guards to move it. With effort, they slid it aside to reveal a ragged archway in the rock leading into pitch blackness. Captain Tedov ordered the two guards to remain while the group continued on. He demanded Ebert keep to his side and that several candelabras be taken to light the way. The crew delved carefully through the cramped hall. Gafgarn hunched slightly to keep from hitting his head on the rough-hewn low ceiling. Even with the dancing lights, the darkness was oppressive, revealing only a few feet in any direction. The librarian tottered behind Captain Tediv, craning his neck to see beyond the group, pointing to the proper direction whenever they came to a split or an intersection. No one spoke and they stepped lightly, moving slowly to keep from making any noise. For some time they traveled, finding no sign that anyone had come before them. How much farther, old man? Captain Tediv whispered. Ebert squeaked through panting, nervous tiredness. 
Not much. There should be a chamber. Then a straight path. <laughs> a deep-throated chuckle echoed through the hall, snaking around the group, raising hairs on each neck. Captain Tedov motioned the group to halt, and all craned to see into the darkness ahead. Gafgarn awkwardly turned to look back the way they came to Sully and Doran covering a rear. Sully held a candelabra out in a feeble attempt to pierce the blackness, then turned to lock eyes with Gafgarn and shrug. He turned back to see Captain Tedov looking his way and gave as much of a nod as he could, indicating that they should continue. Minutes passed, and another chuckle rumbled through the halls. <laughs> it was easier this time to tell it came from ahead of them. Captain Tedov carefully and silently unsheathed his sword and led the group into the dark. The laughing continued more frequently now, goading them. <laughs> Heavy with impish imperiousness, it caused Gafgarn's brow to furl and nostrils to flare in irritation. Leda hefted her sword and shield, and Wither's fingers danced in anticipation. Past another crumbled pathway, turning into another path at an intersection, the laughing continued to creep through the halls like a stalker. <laughs> Finally, they stopped at a three-way intersection, Ebert pointing around the corner to a wider hall at a startling sight. Two rows of simple wooden chairs stood face to face, their backrests against the stone walls, extending into the black and blocking the entire path. Captain Tedov shoved his light out into the hall above the chairs to look as deep as he could, but the chairs continued beyond their sight. Ebert, you or anyone you know put these here for any reason? Aleda asked in a hushed tone, her eye positioned just so to see through the bodies in front of her. Mm, no, this hall is usually clear. We've no use for chairs down here. No one sits around in the dark. Our pastime is reading, after all. No meeting place for Mardu's cronies, old boy. Ebert scratched his hairy chin. None of my business, if there were. But they use the catacombs for smuggling and sneaking out of the city. I don't think the Baron let anyone he worked with outside of the city into the catacombs anyway. Better to keep the entrance hidden in case some crook got wise. Afgarn gazed back at Sully and Dorden with a questioning glance that appeared all the more threatening as shadows danced across his face. Then he asked in a whisper, that nonetheless carried the stony presence of his voice. Smidgen ever come in here? Your band? Anyone? No, sir. Gaff, I don't think so. Times we met with Mardu's folk, we're in the forest or the camp. Deal was the Baron would work with us, but only on his terms. Smidgen never really cared for the city here, already had his own turf. And with the extra information and gear, we could waylay some nice caravans. And then he'd pay you, supplies or gold. Oi! They all looked down the tunnel, the chairs seeming to dance in the flickering light of their candles. Another throaty cackle, full of self-assured excitement, rumbled through the halls. <laughs> there was no mistaking where the laugh came from, though it radiated from beyond those chairs. Any way around, ever down that way? No, just a cave-in. This here is the way to the exit. What's wrong, Gaffy? AJ's voice, full of glee, echoed around them. You seem stressed out. You should have a seat. Take a load off. Then he peeled into a brief, mocking fit of laughter. <laughs> Gafgarn rumbled with the rage boiling up inside him. He reached for his hammer with one hand, but stopped as he realized AJ would be long gone before he could smash his way down that hall. Smashing would make him feel better, but he'd have to save it for AJ. 
The rest of the group could continue, but what would he do? Could he keep searching in the hopes that the crooked librarian was wrong? No. He needed to get down the hall as soon as possible. As crowded as it was with the dreaded chairs, he cracked his neck in anticipation. He lifted a gilded foot above the first two chairs, felt that strange force that pushed him away. As he dropped his boot, he could hear the chairs vibrating against the wall and each other, and he pushed hard against them, their shaking becoming a cacophony of wooden rumblings. And he could see them wobble. His foot slipped off and away from the chairs, and he stamped it on the floor in frustration. He turned and attempted to sit, but was pushed back towards the group. Blasted chairs! There's one thing you can try, and you know it. It won't work! Come now, old boy. Let's just see what this curse of yours will do. Gafgarn huffed as he turned back around, and without hesitation, took a few quick steps and launched himself over the row of chairs. He quickly fell, feeling a force push upwards against his entire body, enough to slow but not stop his descent. The moment his chest hit a seat, he was catapulted upwards into the hard rock ceiling, hitting it like a sack of meat. He fell back down and was repulsed once more, this time catching himself before hitting the ceiling. As he fell again, he could feel the force slowing him, and he bobbed back upward before touching the wood. He bounced in midair for a few moments, each bounce smaller than the next, until he floated gently in the air, a hand's length above the chairs. He looked back at his companions, faces struck with surprise, Wither, Sully, and Doran, scarcely stifling a giggle. Aleda nodded her head, betraying herself with a tiny smirk. Let's get going, Gafgarn commanded, as if nothing strange had happened at all. He thought of claiming a candelabra, but dismissed the idea. He'll see me coming, he thought. I'll fly through the air in the dark and surprise him, or he'll be waiting for me. Sully reached him first, having pushed through the group. She moved her hands in the air over and under Gafgarn, looking for something to do with him, but stopped, absolutely dumbfounded. Are we supposed to push you or something? Just follow me. Keep up and ready yourselves. Gafgarn reached out with both arms, his movement causing the chairs below him to rumble again. He grabbed at the sides of the walls and with one Herculean push, launched himself down the hallway. That strange force persisted as he went, pushing up against his body harder if he bobbed closer to the chairs, each emitting a creak or clatter under him. A frown crept into his face as he heard... Knowing that if AJ lay in wait, the sounds might reach him. He thought of readying his hammer, but the movement of reaching back caused him to wobble awkwardly, pitching forward to almost clip his nose on wood. No, better to gain speed and surprise his foe. Again, he pushed himself down the hall, this time with greater force, sending him into a barrel roll like a slow, awkward bird. It was a strange sensation, like he was a boat and the air beneath him water. Until now, he was pushed or shoved, or launched, or a bed or chair would slide or fall as sought to rest upon it. Now he found himself in an odd equilibrium, a weightless stone floating into that clammy abyss to murder or be murdered. As strange as it was, he was ecstatic. Finally, the creek subsided behind him and that familiar pull to the ground returned. In absolute darkness, he fell into a hard roll, coming to slide on his boots into a stony wall. As he collected the wind knocked from his lungs, he hefted his hammer and listened intently. For a few chilling moments, only the occasional clacking of a chair from the approach of his companions far behind reached his ears. Until finally, something greeted him. About time! 
AJ's voice called from the darkness with the friendly timber of one calmly entertained. We've been waiting for you for a while now. Silly you didn't bring a light with you. You were loud enough floating in here. I wish I could have seen it, but I guess I've seen your kind of flight before. I'm a huge fan, really. It'd be great to give that monster a hand to shake. Unfortunately, I have a problem, as we've not brought a light either. We, thought Gafgarn. Who else is with him? AJ seemed like one who worked alone. Then Gafgarn's thoughts moved to Wither's sister. If she was in that room as a hostage, that would complicate things. Gafgarn stepped forward into nothing, making no sound as he went. You really are a hoot, buddy. You don't think you can find me in this, can you? As much as I'd like to formally meet, I do have something else I need to attend to. I was worried about leaving my friend here alone, but now that you're here, I know he's in good hands. You should take a seat with him. He's sure got a lot to tell you. Gafgarn stepped further into the darkness towards some unseen point where he knew the gesture would be. Now, now, I told you I wouldn't leave you alone. No need to get upset. I'll be around. You can believe that. You're just too much fun. I just have to know if you'll ever sit in your own throne again. Let the professor know I'm taking good care of his little girl. Would you? Toodles! Sound of light footsteps resounded off the wall, each a reverberating decrescendo of the previous. Gafgarn sprinted forward into the dark nothingness, chasing the receding sound. It seemed his run brought him no closer, the pitter-patter of AJ's retreat becoming even quieter, until finally a much louder, much more present sound halted Gafgarn's pursuit. It was like the earth cracking in half, roaring from the space ahead and shaking the floor beneath Gafgarn's boots. Worse, a billowing wall of dust and air slammed into Gafgarn like a storm. He staggered and covered his face, cursing the dust as it stung the skin and choked the lungs. Dust was almost worse than AJ. It could never be squished. Weak light permeated the dark behind Gafgarn. The sound of skidding chairs and fast, heavy steps following it. He turned to see Sully, hopping from the hall of chairs into the chamber. Candelabra held high and knife poised low. Aleda and Wither followed, a sword bared and wrist bows raised. Doran, Captain Tedev, and Ebbard close behind, their curious faces peering from around the corner. Earthquake? Sully asked, her eyes darting in all directions. No, dear. That would not be the rumbling of anything produced by nature. That would be the product of an ingenious concoction from a place very foreign and unreachable for most of the kingdoms. That murderous swine is a madman. Aleda growled between clenched teeth. Oi, what was it then? An explosive. Something I would greatly like to get my hands on. How AJ got one is beyond me. But it seems he's used it ahead, which undoubtedly means the tunnels collapsed. Gafgarn finished as he stepped from the dark into the light like a great stony shadow. You know of explosives, old boy? Only rumors. Something that can move and break stone and light the sky. Simple tricks, old boy. If only they'd trade their secrets. I could teach them a thing or two about ingenuity. Wither's voice rasped with the thirst of a parched man glancing life-giving waters across an impossible chasm. That's nice. But I think you guys should take a look at this. She held the flickering light before her and marched, motioning Captain Tedev to follow. Together their flames revealed the chamber, the center of it occupied by a single man clad in half-plate armor. 
his hands bound behind him as he sat in the same type of chair as was crowding that long hallway. His head hung low, and the remnants of perspiration dripped from the ridge of his nose and black hair that hung over his face. Firelight revealed bruises, a cut lip, and a dark deluge of fresh blood glistening on his tarnished breastplate and dripping onto the floor. A sword lay nearby next to an extinguished torch, and crumpled by a distant wall were two more armored, bloodied bodies. Captain Tedev rushed to those against the wall, then to the man settled into the chair. Good men, these! Rare in these parts! I thought this AJ to be just a knife in the dark, an assassin that kills and runs! These would have put up a fight! Not enough. Not for AJ. Liver-spotted, fecal-warming hedgepig! Why is he in a chair? Doran asked, gesturing at the macabre scene. So was that tentacle head, right? The gesture's got a thing for reclining! Elena and Wither looked at Gafgarn knowingly, but none responded. Gafgarn took the candelabra from Sully and walked around the room finding only one exit other than the collapsed path and the chair-ridden hallway, and this one already blocked by rubble. He kicked the stone and grunted, returning to the group to announce, There's no chasing him from here. Librarian, where does that path go? Gafgar nodded his head the way AJ had fled. Out, I'm sure. If he went that way, he's out of the city most likely. What was the book that AJ took? What? All oh, right. The night before. He had stayed late. Had never seen him before. But the library's public. He picked out several tomes, history books, and memoirs from the ancient war. The rebellion that broke the empire and gave birth to the kingdoms. I didn't notice him leave, but one of the books I saw him with was missing. What was it, old boy? Arming Chaos, it was. A journal of a famous blacksmith of those times. It's considered a chronicle of old techniques and styles. Tracks some events, but otherwise reveals little about anyone or anything particularly important. Important is relative, old boy, Wither said, his eyes communicating a hidden understanding to Gafgarn and Aleda. All three of them looked down at Gafgarn's boots, glinting in the candlelight as if just polished. In any case, not much we can do here, is there? No, Captain Tedev stated, with a hint of resigned sadness. We should report back to the Baron. I'll have my men take care of the dead. Oh, boy. Sully said sarcastically. I'm really excited to see that thing again. What would the Baron think of their failure? What might he do? As they trudged through Hosto's streets, underneath a sky just beginning to hint at the approaching evening, they knew they would find out. But when they returned to the manse in the middle of the city, they were met with a different scene than expected. The courtyard bristled with the leather clad and cloaked, all forms of weapon drawn, each at their highest guard. There had been a death in the yard, it seemed. Two guards at the rear of the estate slain quietly, their bodies only just discovered, and something worse. Inside, the shady folk ran about, investigating every corner and nook with the particularly grumpy retinue in the upper halls crowding the bulging baron's doorway. Beyond, Gafgarn and his companions found a most peculiar but eerily familiar scene. The baron and four of his henchmen were slumped into chairs, dead from knife wounds, arranged around the impressive desk as if in a meeting. The strangest detail, however, was a small note written in ink in the most eloquent, flowing handwriting anyone alive or dead in that room had ever seen. The note was pinned to Baron Mardu by his own knife, and it read, Even in death, they know more comfort than you. And Gafgar noted, those pristine gauntlets with a shocking likeness to his cursed boots were nowhere to be found.
the town bustled, crowded with patrolling guardsmen. Many were hungry for retribution, knowing their allies had been butchered in the catacombs beneath the city. The bulging baron's crew was equally piqued, the loss of their own causing search parties to scour the countryside. No one seemed to care much for the baron himself, excepting that his murder was so brazen as to be unbelievable. His swarthy crew only wondered as to who might replace him and if the new head would continue their employment. Captain Tedev issued his orders to scour the dilapidated city, but knew their target would be gone. None had seen him since the encounter in the catacombs. He held no hope that a sign of him would be found and acted with resigned stoicism. After he felt the guard was duly roused and occupied, he asked Afghan's group to join him in his office. As eager as they were to continue their hunt, he insisted, promising to take little of their time. When he mentioned the aged bottle of spirit he kept for particularly difficult days, the party's interest intensified. All agreed to take the moment to collect themselves. They made their way through hostos, disorienting buildings and streets, passing bristling patrols, sending brief salutes to the captain and awed gazes to Gafgarn. Sully and Dorden had previously mentioned to others their exploits in the catacombs, and apparently word spread about the wolf floating in the dark, flying like an arrow. Gafgarn returned to the flabbergast and dazzled with a sneer. He wasn't intent on being anyone's sideshow. He gave sidelong glances, obese with dismay, at his two underlings, who remained silent and avoided all eye contact. They finally came to a teetering building with barred windows and a corral in its backyard. Weapon racks indicating the area was used for sparring. Only a few guards remained to watch the mostly empty cells. On the upper floor, they came to the captain's office. It was a basic and bare affair, populated by a sturdy but simple desk and a small cot. With a heavy sigh, he sat and indicated all present should do the same. Gafgarn unsheathed his mallet and leaned on it for support. Wither lit his gigantic curving pipe, sending gentle billowing puffs into the dark ceiling. I know you have places to be, but I thought it might be of benefit to stop for a moment and take stock of things. Hm? The captain began. As he did so, several guards brought in soup and bread for everyone and laid several cups on the desk. The heat and aroma managed to brighten the gloom of the evening somewhat. The uncorking of the bottle Ted had retrieved from a drawer brightened the room even more. He poured into each cup as he spoke. This AJ is more than some cat purse. If he's still in the area, I want to catch him. But it might help to know more about the scoundrel. At least you three know something, right? He indicated Wither, Aleda, and Gafgarn, and placed the bottle aside. Aleda spoke first. You'd be disappointed to learn that the Guild knows very little. AJ stands for Albino Jester. We don't know his name, or where he's from, or even what he's after. Then what do you know, hmm? You're supposed to detect things the Kingdom's regular guard won't, right? So detect! She took a pull from her cup and relished the sweet and spicy flavor within, then continued. AJ acts almost compulsively, so much so that it seems he thinks little before doing anything. In every town and city he's committed a crime. There's almost never a communication to anyone about what he wants. No demands, no blackmail, no ransom. He just causes chaos. Always murder? Often, but not always. Sometimes his crimes are almost juvenile. In a small town, he's accused of stealing everyone's socks in a night and leaving them in a bear den. Once, he changed all the names on a horse racing ledger and caused an uproar at the betting office. What did he change the names to? I don't remember the specifics, but each was 
Scatological. Doran chuckled, <laughs> choking on his laugh when Sully placed an elbow in his ribcage. Well, so why the murders? What's the point of all this in Hosto? And why are you so passionate about this man, Professor? Because, old boy, one of his many villainous deeds includes kidnapping, my sister to be precise, and I'm very eager to have her back before the scoundrel does something contemptuously more regrettable. As for Hausto, AJ's actions are usually chaotic, prone to whatever insanity drives him. It doesn't seem they were all connected. Except for the chair thing. Her one eye regarded Gafgarn. Yeah, what's the deal with that? That bit is obvious enough, isn't it, old boy? Wither muffled as he smoked his pipe. They all looked at him and grinned, pulling the pipe out and raising his cup for dramatic effect. He's got a crush on Gafgarn! Oi, Jokey's got a thing for Gaffy! AJ is fascinated by him. The bodies in chairs are proof enough. It's the curse. He's taunting me, trying to piss me off. Is it working? Yes. I can't blame him for finding your affliction interesting, but is he really just killing people to poke fun at you? I already told you, Captain. He's crazy. This isn't beyond him. Each killed was in a position of power or authority. Mm, the dead, right. Simple enough, I suppose. Though going for the Baron was pretty ballsy. Over the top, even. Sir, you have that in common with them, too. Sully remarked to Gafgarn. I know. Deposed, but still a leader. I don't understand. The wolf here is a throne waiting for him back home across the border. Apparently, he united all the clans in the Wildlands. They won't follow him if he can't sit on his throne, however. Wow, I didn't realize I was escorting and arresting royalty. And you united the clans? That's no mean feat. After centuries when the only time you'd see them work together was to fight off an invasion from the kingdoms. You might make for a valuable political prisoner, you know. Gafgarn eyed him with an angry suspicion, and Tedev responded with raised hands and an innocent look. But I'm just captain of the guard, hmm? I'm no one's army or court. I put myself as far away from that mess as I could. I'm loyal to the crown and all, but I'm done with wars and fool machinations. Is that why you're in this backwater? Yes, volunteered for it. My men are all ill-equipped, undertrained, and hardly motivated. But I appreciate that challenge, rather than licking the boot of whoever was born from whoever else's void praised blood. What about the Baron? He mostly stuck to himself, as long as I stayed out of his way. We left each other alone, made our lives easier. I cared about the city, he cared about other things. You know, Captain, I could use a man like you. You're obviously capable and wasted here. My people appreciate strength and honor. Seems you've some. No, 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 big fella. I've had enough politics. I just protect people. Hmm? And that's fine by me. No need to make things more complicated. Sounds like there's a story behind that. Another life. One full of politics and oaths I'd rather not revisit. My only loyalty is to the people of Hosto now. And I rather like it. Anyway, what would you recruit me for, Gafgarn? Going to invade your own lands and lay claim by force? The kingdoms were successful for some time, but there hasn't been a victory on our side in years. How could you expect to do any different? And won't they still reject you if you can't sit on the throne? My people appreciate strength. Even a farmer can fight, but not all can lead. I'm in enemy territory, peace or not. I'll need at least a small troop to watch my back while I work on fixing things. Back to that, the captain interjected, leaning forward onto his desk. What in the world was that? Is this really happening? I saw it with my own eyes, but is there really some sort of magic at work here? It appears so, old boy, and it seems tied to those immaculate boots. 
Alayda snickered in disbelief, giving the room a look of disapproval. Wither continued, Think what you want, dear. If proof points only to the impossible, then it must be true. So why not just take off the boots? Tried. Can't. Well, that's a shame. So you're just going to be like that for the rest of your life? Hm? No. What will you do? Wasn't too sure. Till now. Oh? Did you notice something odd about the Baron's office? Aside from all the dead folk, you mean? <laughs> something was missing. None of the Baron's jewelry, none of his valuables, nothing that could be sold easily and for good coin. Only one thing. Those gauntlets. Indeed, old boy. Those with the same design and spotless effect as these very boots. Wither waved dramatically at the gilded footwear. Why take them, though? What's AJ's game now? Like I said, to piss me off. Translated, it's to ensure we follow, old boy. He knows we're interested in them. The gauntlets guarantee Gafgan will pursue him. Fine. So the giant and the professor have common cause. And what of you, Elena? Surely there are easier bounties? Maybe AJ is worth a great deal, but couldn't you find easier prey? Maybe even make more in a shorter amount of time. Elena seemed to hesitate for a moment, as if a thought crossed her mind like a blizzard freezing her. And she quickly regained her composure and responded, I like the challenge. And yes, AJ is worth a great deal. Nothing personal? No. Sounds like a story behind that. Elena gave him a nasty look. Tedev looked pensive for a moment and then shook his head. All right, fair enough. None of my business anyway. I'm just curious. Well, if you're all done with your food and drink, I'd be happy to let you rest here. We've plenty of beds. No, Gafgarn said as he returned his mallet on his back, secured by a tight loop of leather. We can't afford to lose him. If we rest, it has to be on the move. Exiting the compound, Wither confronted Aleda in a hushed tone. It seems you've a personal grudge with our wayward jester. I understand, but I assume your vendetta won't get in the way. It's just a job. I don't know what you're talking about. Keep convincing yourself, just don't get in my way, and none of this apprehending him alive. I know the guild often values a mark more when he still breathes. When I find him, I find my sister, and he dies. I accept nothing less. Believe me, Wither, that won't be a problem. The group left without further delay. Captain Tedev watched them from the rickety wall until the moonlight no longer illuminated their place on the road north. He let out a sigh of relief and left to finish his spirit and sleep. The party on the road slept on the move. Gafgarn and his two underlings on the roof of the carriage, Leda in the saddle and Wither in the driver's seat. Many doubted that Wither had slept at all when they woke in the early morning to find him still huffing on his pipe. As they trundled along the path, a broad wooded copse ahead and hostile on the horizon behind them. They saw a figure sitting on the crumbling stone wall on the side of the trail. When they neared, it appeared it wasn't alone. Its entourage consisted of the bodies of five other individuals in the grass behind the figure. Even closer, they could tell the figure was a woman, and she was cleaning a long, thin, one-sided sword in her lap. Her skin was dark ebony, her black hair braided tightly against her scalp into an intricate design that wove around itself asymmetrically, ending in a tight, boxy spiral on the right side of her head, just above her ear. Her eyes, a subdued golden brown, regarded her blade serenely from a face that could pass as sculpted from polished obsidian, with high cheekbones and a resolute pointed chin. She wore a stylized white robe with an ornate, high, narrow collar that plunged to her bosom in the shape of a dagger. Spacious sleeves descended to her wrists, the bottom of her shirt to just above her ankles, the robe parting at her waist. Intricate embroidering followed the edges of the robe around the wrist, collar, and hem. The design was strikingly asymmetric, 
like the rows of braiding on her head, with interlocking shapes and bisecting lines in a flashy array of gold, orange, various hues of red, and highlights of turquoise. Below, she wore loose-fitting golden pants, and her shoes were simple wooden platforms with prongs reaching to the ground like tiny stilts. A round, flat hat of woven, woody material rested on the wall next to her, gently rocking in the light breeze. A shaggy brown horse rested next to her with a large rolled pack in various colors on its back. To all present, the display was mesmerizing. It was hard to tell with her attire, but she seemed slim from the shape of her neck, wrists, and ankles. The arm that didn't tend to her blade hung limply to her side. Gafgarn wondered if it was injured. The carriage came to stop in front of her. From his vantage point atop the wagon, Gafgarn could see the dead were cheaply dressed, and each wore a red bandana tied somewhere on their bodies. He dismounted, causing the vehicle to rock behind him, and approached the stoic woman, her eyes still lowered to her blade. Run into some trouble? The woman raised her eyes, which shone in the dull light of day like a predator's, and responded coolly. It seems they did. Thieves that thought me an easy target. They thought wrong. Aleda dismounted as well and looked towards the bodies. Five on one. Hardly a fair fight. The woman had resumed tending her blade. Not fair for whom? They were just brigands, not warriors. Not an ounce of the art between them. It would be a sad waste of life if theirs were worth anything. Sully crossed her arms and gave a disagreeable look in response. She had been one of them before, after all, and she felt her life was worth something. But she held her tongue for now. You aren't from around here, are you? Aleda asked, regarding the woman's clothing. What gave that away, I wonder? She's from the west, the far west, across an inland sea, a country called Yoduru. She gave him a curt nod, and he smiled back. You've traveled no trivial distance, Miss... Imadi. And your people are something seldom written about and never seen. What brings you to the kingdoms? Just a wanderer. Sounds like someone I know, Wither grinned. Gafgarn gave him a stony look. Your arm looks hurt. This? No injury. It's an affliction from birth. Doesn't seem to slow you down. Not unlike you and your eye, I would guess. Elena touched the patch over her eye, tracing the symbol on it. I was born with a pair, though. We all lose something. Perhaps we choose whether those losses cripple us or not. You and I decided not. Gafgarn huffed impatiently, feeling the woman's words weigh on him. He hefted himself back onto the carriage. If you're fine, then we need to move on. Have you seen anyone strange? An albino with a jester hat? He might have a girl with him, likely bound. Someone on horseback entered the wood, but they were too far off to see clearly. Could be who you're looking for. Then we should go. You might not want to go that way, she said, nodding lightly at the woods. Why not? Because the rest of the crew these idiots belong to are waiting in the trees over there. More than these made to attack me, but they fled when I cut down their friends. When they were running away, I heard them say I wasn't their intended target. Something about a big outlander with a wolf cloak. I'm guessing that's you. Gafgarn hopped off the carriage once more, causing it to sway and rock again. Aleda looked to the cops ahead, slipping her shield onto her arm in anticipation. Wither puffed heavily at his pipe. Sully and Doran traded knowing looks. More with those bandanas, Gafgarn asked, indicating the corpses. Amadi gave a curt nod and stood, 
accentuating the movement with a satisfying slide of her sword sinking into its scabbard at her waist. Gafgarn hefted his hammer, resting it on his shoulder as he gazed into the cops. Any idea how many? She placed her hat on her head, secured around her chin by twine, and said, Only two ran. I haven't exactly looked, but it sounds to me like you've got the history. So you tell me. She raised her eyes to his expectant. Seems the lady wants to accompany us into the fray. Why? Sounds like a bunch of thieves. That's as good a reason as any. If you're looking to loot them, they won't have much. They fled their camp, Gafgarn demolished, without taking any time to carry anything off. I'm only interested in their lives. The party then witnessed something truly rare. Gafgarn turned to them, bearing a grin, beaming with glee. His chest puffed in anticipation and stated with the richest mirth any present had heard bubble up from his gravelly baritone. Then let's go claim them! Now, you aren't suggesting we just saunter directly into a trap, are you, old boy? We? No, Doc. Just you. And it won't be their trap. It'll be ours. Shortly after, in the advancing dawn, the carriage trundled through the copse. A trail so narrow that overhanging branches scratched against the passing vehicle. Its lone driver puffed happily at a basic corncob pipe, bouncing with the rocking of the wagon. A stalwart horse tugged the affair along, huffing the comfortably cool air in his own way. Seemingly unbeknownst to either, eyes watched from the brush at either side, peering from behind trunks and among boughs. They watched hungrily, anticipating the valuables they might glean from the coming robbery. Some were disappointed that the wolf-hooded outlander was nowhere to be seen but they nonetheless relished the chance to murder the suit. Fingers rested anxiously on bowstrings and around hilts. Two gruff-looking men stepped from the verge into the path of the carriage, which caused Wither to pull lightly on the reins, stopping Percy. He puffed and looked expectantly at the two strangers. They wore red bandanas around their heads and brandished an ugly-looking sword and a spiked mace. Wither smiled at the weapons, noting the chipped blade and that the mace looked like little more than a small piece of lumber with iron spikes driven through it. You! The mace wielder commanded, pointing his weapon at Wither. Off the carriage now! No sudden movements, or you'll find an arrow in your brain! Wither grinned and puffed, then replied. The thing about weapons, old boy, is that maintenance, regular, and practiced is key. Now, I see you two fine strapping lads, and I think to myself, here are some gentlemen, though entrepreneurial of spirit, plagued with poorly maintained tools. Indeed, your souls are willing, but how can you capture that evasive seductress called success with such decrepit arms? The one with the blade inspected his weapon, a look of dismay on his face, and said to no one in particular, Mine is looking a bit worse for wear. Shut it, idiot, the mace wielder replied. And you, no more talking, no more tricks. Off the carriage or I'll smash that jaw off myself. Wither rose and dismounted, still happily puffing, and continued. No need to be ashamed, old boy, for I carry the salvation that shall make your murdering and thieving all the more efficacious and pleasurable. He stepped to the door in his carriage, opened it, and stuck his body in, undulating with efforts to find some hidden gem within. In moments, he returned to the road, bearing a small device composed of two crossed wood slats fixed to a small platform with hinges and springs. The sides of the slats that faced inwards had a polished stone affixed to them so that they resembled shears. This, old boy, will keep any blade sharp for years to come. He began, taking his place in the center of the road as he continued hawking his invention. He listened intently for a sign from the woods. Malicious intent silently waited with bated breath in the form of bared blades and drawn bows amongst the brush and trees on either side of Wither. Some high, some low, 
These loathsome individuals locked eyes on their quarry, ready for Wither to make a wrong move for any surprises that might spring from the carriage. Some of those eyes scan for the wolf cloak, hoping for the opportunity to exact revenge. Hearing about a handful of their comrades being cut down by a wandering swordsman further stoked their ire. So wolf or not, many were eager to take their frustrations out on the thin suit standing in the road. Some recognized him as the wiry figure that came into the camp as the dust settled, dispatching their fellows where he could. So intent was their attention that none noticed the clandestine approach of others in the wood. Sticking low, Gafgarn, Sully, and Doran approached silently from one side, while Aleda and Amadi skulked along from the other, capturing the ambush in a pincer. Wither continued prattling on, hawking his wares and putting on an act of ignorance, while the rest of the group closed in on the bandits. Gafgarn always preferred open battle to sneaking around, but as he saw his prey ahead, he knew the strategy was sound. They were outnumbered three to one. Better to thin their numbers from the shadows before drawing a skirmish. Still, after recent events, the opportunity to bust some heads brought a sense of exhilarated peace to the behemoth. Gafgarn huddled with his cohorts and whispered, Spread out and stay quiet. Sully, take care of the ones in the trees. Doran, clean up any that might notice and watch your footing. He watched the two split then approached his first victim leaning against a tree. His great hammer in one hand, Gafgarn reached around the man with the other, his hand grabbing the bandit's face and slamming the back of his head into the stout trunk. With a satisfying crack, the bandit's body slumped and slid down the timber, leaving a trail of glistening blood in its wake. Nearby, a body fell out of a tree with an arrow from Sully's bow stuck in his neck. An abandoned near it had his throat slit before he could sound an alarm. Doran used his victim's bandana to wipe his blade as he nodded to Gafgarn, and the three continued. On the other side, Aleda and Amadi made swift progress. Aleda used her shield to knock a woman to the floor, then dispatched her with a knife to her heart. Amadi darted between two sentries, precisely and quickly, skewering one and then slashing into the other in one fluid motion. Using her bolas, Aleda brought an archer down from the canopy, and Amadi glided in to finish him off. Unsheathing her sword, Aleda cut down another in the brush just as his eyes caught her slinking at him. Each team moved towards the trail in this way, cutting a swath with a mixture of expertise and luck. Several more were cut down silently, until Doran tripped on a stone, hitting the ground hard behind another target. As the bandit swiveled, his eyes lit with surprise when they caught sight of Doran scrambling to his feet. An arrow flashed by his side, missing him by inches. He let out a whistle as he saw Sully notching another arrow. His whistle was cut short with a bellowing roar. Gafgarn rudely introduced the business end of his hammer to the bandit's face. In the road, the two brigands were kneeling over Wither's contraption, the one with the blade sliding it carefully between the cross timbers. A whistle and then a roar erupted from the trees, causing the two to look into the wood with alarm. Then they turned to Wither and stood, one with his mace at the ready and the other testing the sharpened end of his sword with a gentle touch. It's now razor keen edge cut through his thumb like butter, a rivulet of blood trickling down his hand onto his wrist. Ouch! Wow, it's much sharper, the thief said, while the other moved to attack Wither. I think we'll keep it after we kill you. Wither raised his hands and shrugged innocently to show he was unarmed. Suddenly, a bolt shot from his left wrist into the trees, causing a body to fall from a tree into the undergrowth at the side of the trail. The two would-be thieves looked on dumbfounded as Wither donned a bloodthirsty grin, smoke coiling from his corncob pipe like a snake prepared to strike. The mace wielder pounced, swiping his bludgeon down at Wither's head. Wither stepped sideways, the mace missing his face by a hair. 
He simultaneously jammed his hand to the bandit's chest, his secret blade piercing the man's heart. Finally recovering from his surprise, the sword wielder rushed in, cleaving the air. Wither brought up the blade from his right hand to block, and the sword slid off of it with enough force to break the mechanism. The blade hung limply by Wither's hand, and small pieces of metal and springs fell from his sleeve. Wither ducked under another swipe and brought the bloody blade on his left hand into play, puncturing his attacker's gut. As he let the body fall, an arrow stuck into the ground near him, and he looked to the wood at his right to see several more brigands erupting from the brush. Wither ducked and ran to take cover behind the carriage, shooting each of his mini crossbows as he went. One bandit ducked numbly below a shaft, while another slumped in agony on the road, clutching his side. At the carriage, Wither crouched, taking shots at the approaching attackers. In Gafgarn's sections of wood, madness broke out. The trio revealed, Every bandit there turned from the road and pressed the attack. Gafgarn grinned as he charged into the fray, his hammer at the ready. Doran unsheathed his sword, his dagger still in his other hand, and prepared to defend himself from the onslaught. He was sure he would die. There was a score of armed devils bearing down on he and Gafgarn. The nearest to Doran collapsed in a heap as an arrow skewered his skull. Sully quickly switched out her bow for her blade and sped to Doran's aid. The two worked back to back winding between and around each other as they fended off blows and took advantage of openings. Sully blocked a sword strike and kicked her opponent in the groin, then spun to cut the wrist of a hand clutching a blade aimed for Doran. Doran cut an enemy down in the leg, swiveling to cut the throat of the man still reeling from his growing hit. Then he locked eyes with the archer, bow drawn, a deadly arrowhead pointing right at him. Gafgarn was there in a flash, the hammer breaking the archer's arm before the shot could be taken. It was as if a dam had burst and Gafgarn was the flood. He, his bulk, and his hammer, an overwhelming force flowing around Dorne and Sully, taking all in its path. He was an artist with his hammer, knowing how to perfectly follow through with its weight. Each swing, elegant brushstroke, moving right to another, launching from one target to the next. He roared and bellowed as he shattered one bandit's shield, launching the foe into a stump, then continued with the swing into an uppercut at another approaching his rear. Meanwhile, Aleda and Amadi took full advantage of the chaos. Distracted by the alarm raised on the other side of the carriage, bandits hopped from the trees and advanced towards the road, their backs to the two women warriors stalking towards them. Both charged, cutting down the unsuspecting force like wheat. By the time any had noticed, six more lay dead and four survivors struggled to mount a defense. Aleda and Amadi split the rest between each other. Amadi made quick work of her two targets connecting to a parry from one and feigning an opening to swiftly deflect a blade from the other before cutting the two down in one stroke. Aleda charged into a woman chucking an axe, the blade sticking into her shield harmlessly. The bandit fell back from the blow, tripping over a stone. Aleda blocked the swing of a mace with her blade, then caught a second swing with her shield, feeling the weapon bounce from the impact. She used the opening to cut a fatal gash into her opponent's gut. Then she spun to finish off the woman with a thrust, catching her mid-charge dagger in her hand. Confirming the forest lay devoid of the living, the two women approached the road, Amadi flicking her blade to shower blood on an unfortunate shrub. They found Wither sitting atop his carriage, several dead bodies with bolts in them around and on the carriage. He nonchalantly kicked a body overhanging the edge as he gingerly lit his pipe. Wiggling his mustache, he greeted his companions with a smile and puffs of smoke shooting from his nostrils. Surveying the scene, Aleda noted only one sprawling body showed any evidence of life. 
a bandit at the side of the road, clutching a bolt in his side, moaning. She made her way to him. Amadi cut across the trail to the opposite side, stopping short as a body hurtled out from the bush to crash violently and sickeningly against a carriage. Wither rocked with the motion it caused, looking over his shoulder at Gafgarn, sauntering casually from the wood. His hammer, slick with gore, rested on his shoulder, and remnants of his bloody work flecked his entire body. He let out a weighty sigh of satisfaction as Sully and Doran walked out from the brush, still looking about for more attackers. Amadi flicked her blade once more and approached Aleda. The hunter kneeled over the last surviving bandit, his life quickly fading, pain on his face. Any more of you left? Screw you! He answered through clenched teeth. This was foolish. Smidgen is dead. There's nothing to be gained for you by seeking the wolf. We didn't know he'd be sneaking in the woods. And there's plenty to be earned. How so? You guys are really stupid. You know that? You take out the bandit king and think you can just walk away? Mark's been put on you. Every thief, murderer, and beggar will be keeping an eye out for you. Lady could hear Gafgarn's heavy footsteps approach and stop behind her as she asked. Who would care exactly? Someone close to Smidgen. Someone pretty pissed off by you killing him. Someone who thinks your heads are worth something. Family? Brother? Sister? <laughs> oh, <coughs> nothing so pleasant as all that. Who wants me? <laughs> His ex-wife. New friends, new enemies. This could get complicated. Things could get rough. Keep an eye on your podcatcher for all the episodes of Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished. The credits for Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished Volume 2 are as follows. Your narrator, the voices of Gafgarn, AJ, Wither, Captain Tedev, Mourners, the Old Lady, and various bandits, Doran, Eberd, and Baron Mardu are Mike Bethel. Elada is Julia Eve. Iyer and Sully are Rosanna Jimeno and Alexis Bird. Imadi is Deborah Crystalball. The soldier that brought up the catacombs was a cameo by yours truly. Music, sound effects, and production are also by myself, Daniel French. Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished is written by my son, Jeremiah French. To contribute to Chronosphere Fiction, go to patreon.com. Thank you for listening to Chronosphere Fiction. Until we meet again in the spectral streams, keep your cosmos clean.